0: Welcome to the Five Books for Catholics podcast, where experts explain their pick of five outstanding books on an aspect of Catholic life, doctrine or culture. In this episode, Dr. John Bergsma will explain his pick of books that can guide us through the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah, that is Hebrew for law or instruction. They are also called the Pentateuch, which is Greek for five scrolls. They are at the heart of Judaism, and for Christians, they are a major part of the Word of God. They tell the story of God's people from the creation of the world until its arrival under Moses to the Promised Land. Much of that story is familiar to us, but understanding the Pentateuch can still be challenging for modern readers. Dr John Bergsma is a full professor of theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. He served as a Protestant pastor for four years before entering the Catholic Church in 2001 he specialises in the Old Testament and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Among his various books are Bible Basics for Catholics, A New Picture of Salvation History, and A Catholic Introduction to the Bible, the Old Testament, which he co-authored with Brant Petre. Check out the show notes for Dr. John Bergsmith's list of recommended books on the Pentateuch. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Father. It's great to be with you.
0: What led you... First of all, to become an Old Testament scholar?
1: (laughs) What uh, what prompted me to become an Old Testament scholar? Yes. Um, That's a great question. Um, I was always drawn to the scriptures. Uh, I grew up in a devout Protestant home. Um, My mother um, began me reading the Bible through in a year as a devotional practice uh, when I was 12 years old. Um, and I kept that up uh, through my adolescence and into college, and so I developed a great love for Scripture. And my my main way of communing with the Lord, my main form of prayer, was meditation on Scripture and uh, daily reading. Um, that contributed to me feeling a call to. Uh, what we called the ministry of the word. In other words, to be a a pastor in the group that I was uh, part of at that time, denomination that I was part of. And when I got into uh, the seminary, um, I discovered that I had academic gifts. And so I began to explore the possibility of going further and uh, getting a doctorate in a field of theology. And uh, I'd always loved languages. Um, I had a uh, a background in classical languages—that was what my BA was in—and uh, Old Testament is the most language-intensive subdiscipline of theology. Uh, one needs to know Latin, Greek, uh, and Hebrew, and then uh, preferably several cognate languages to Hebrew as well. So, with my um, proclivity for uh, languages, uh, it felt like a smart uh, subdiscipline to get into. But then there was a a more spiritual level as well, and um, uh, certain passages of the the New Testament began to strike me uh, very powerfully. For example, in the uh, parable of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, near the end of the parable, of course, the rich man pleads with uh, Father Abraham to uh, go and uh, send Lazarus back to his brother's. And Abraham famously says, well, they have Moses and the prophets and the rich man complains, no, but if somebody comes back from the dead, they'll believe. And Abraham replies, "Uh, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they will not believe even if someone rises from the dead. And of course, that's uh, kind of a a very epic statement there within the Gospel of Luke, because it's looking forward to uh, the resurrection of our Lord. Um, But. In my own uh, devotional reading of scripture at that stage in my life it struck me that um the old testament you know moses and the prophets is really foundational for understanding the gospel and it struck me that part of the reason for the growth of heresies part of the reason for the um, evangelistic ineffectiveness of the church in our own age was a loss of faith in these foundational scriptural texts and um So, um, you know, that together with statements in the Gospel of John, such as, uh, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he spoke of me, Uh, other statements from the Lord to that effect, uh, really uh, contributed to a sense of call uh, to devote my life uh, to the study and the defense of uh, Moses and the prophets uh, to shore up faith. Uh, in these foundational scriptural books uh, so that people uh, could could uh, understand and appreciate the fullness of the gospel.
0: You have chosen commentaries and guides written by modern biblical scholars. Is there one of the church fathers that you would single out for his commentaries on the book of the Pentateuch?
1: Yes. Um, well, uh, I think that one cannot uh, go too far wrong with Augustine and um, his uh, probably best known work on, on a Pentateuchal book is uh, Genesis According to the Letter, of course. And so um, I would uh, refer readers to Augustine and um, Actually, in terms of biblical theology as well, uh, Saint Irenaeus um, does a, a wonderful job of uh, identifying uh, the different covenant eras uh, that are represented already in the Old Testament narrative. So th- those are two be two fathers to start with.
0: In drawing up your list of five best books in the Pentateuch, you appear to have followed two principles. First, you've picked you have not picked line by line commentaries, but studies that present the big picture. Of the Pentateuch taken as a whole. Second, you've taken an ecumenical approach, picking both Catholic and Protestant guides to the Pentateuch. Is this a correct description of the principles that led you in your selection? And would you have anything more to say on that?
1: No, I would agree. Uh, you're correct. I, I tried to pick a variety from um, at a different stages of accessibility. Um, so at the at the one end of the spectrum. Scott Hans, a father who keeps his promises, is uh, very readable, uh, you know, written on a popular level. Um, upper elementary students could uh, could appreciate that, as well as adults, obviously. And then as you move through the ones that I've picked, you know, Thomas Mann is a step up in terms of complexity and uh, accessibility. Sail Hammer, uh, another step more. And then Moberly's book is not a commentary on the whole Pentateuch, but it's a a monograph that makes a very important point about Pentateuchal interpretation. And so it's a a different uh, kind of work. And uh, likewise, uh, my own work with Jeff Morrow is uh, probably the the densest of uh, the different books uh, on our on our list, um, rather technical, uh, getting into um, the history of scholarship on the Pentateuch. So uh, I have a a wide range of readability and uh, a wide range of resolution in terms of uh, the coverage of of the Pentateuch.
0: Your first book is John Sailhammer's The Pentateuch is Narrative. It takes the traditional view that Moses is the human author of the first five books of the Bible. And these constitute a single work is the pentateuch a single book or five different ones furthermore does it have a single human author moses or many different ones
1: yeah um what i would say about that is uh, both are true the pentateuch is is a uh a literary unit as a whole um as well as a composition in five uh books so Each book has its own character uh, and yet together they present us with a collection um, that has a unity to it and uh, a beginning and an end and uh, narrative resolutions. So I think we're familiar with this. I think an analogy would be uh, Tolkien's famous trilogy uh, where each of the books uh, does have a different character and yet they contribute to an entire storyline. Um, As far as the author of the Pentateuch, I think uh, that we can recognize that there are different hands uh, present. Um, I am uh, convinced myself uh, of what I would call substantial Mosaic authorship. Uh, In other words, the view, which is very traditional in the church, uh, that Moses is the primary source of the material that is in the Pentateuch. Um, But uh, I think that we can see evidence of... Uh, in certain instances, later hands at work, um, editorial remarks, glosses, uh, things of that nature. And uh, what is theologically most important is that the laws that um, assert that they were revealed by God uh, to Moses at Sinai, uh, that those are connected to the historical Moses because that's a claim that the text itself makes. Whereas, for example, on the issue of the authorship of the book of Genesis, uh, the text itself makes no claims. So we're just dealing with uh, tradition at that point. So um, uh, the, uh, I think we can safely say that um, uh, the Pentateuch uh, did involve um, an editorial process, um, but uh, the narrative and the structure of it also seems to be the product of a single mind uh, because of the coherence of it. And um, uh, the, both the scriptures and the Jewish and, and Christian tradition uh, give us strong reason uh, to attribute the substantial authorship or the, the source of the vast majority of the content uh, to the figure of Moses himself.
0: Next is R.W. The Old Testament of the Old Testament. Can you explain this intriguing title and why you've chosen this book?
1: Sure. I think Moberly's uh, monograph, uh, The Old Testament, The Old Testament, uh, presents us with one of the most uh, significant contributions to the understanding of the Pentateuch in the modern period. And that is uh, the, the thesis of the book, basically, is that within the Pentateuch itself, you have two different forms of religion. You have the patriarchal form of religion, uh, which is focused around the patriarchal covenant, um, uh, often called the Abrahamic covenant. And then you have a, a religious sea change with Moses and the institution of what's often called the Mosaic or the Sinai covenant uh, out Mount, at Mount Sinai, which establishes the people of Israel um, as a sacred uh, civil state. so uh, after Moses establishes the the covenant on Sinai, we notice that um, the the priestly functions are limited to a priestly class. Uh, first, it's the firstborn sons, but rather rapidly, due to the golden calf episode, that priestly duty is given to the Levitical tribe as a whole and the sons of Aaron in particular. So we have a reservation of priestly duty to a priestly caste. Um, You have a a whole set of categorization of sacrifices. Uh, You have a central sanctuary uh, that has rules of cleanliness. Um, You have cleanliness laws and uh, cultic regulations imposed upon the people. Um, None of that is present uh, earlier in the narrative. When we look at the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we see the Father of the clan or the father of the tribe functioning as a natural priest and um, building altars uh, where he feels appropriate at different sacred places in the land and uh, offering sacrifice himself. So um, all of this uh, actually would be prohibited uh, after Moses um, institutes uh, the covenant with Israel so one has to recognize that there's a development in um in the religion of the people of israel there's a uh, you know the the church fathers would call it a development of the economy um in my own teaching i would say it's a distinction of of uh covenant form uh, between the abrahamic and the mosaic uh but moberly is just trying to point out uh, what is often lost, um, not just by popular readers, but oftentimes professional interpreters as well, um, that we do have two very distinct um, forms of expression of faith in uh, the God of Israel present in the Pentateuch itself. And the Pentateuch itself witnesses to a dramatic change uh, in the way that Israel uh, expressed and practiced her faith. Uh, toward her God um, within the the historical time period that these books cover.
0: Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview, or to support this podcast, visit the website fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on the platform of your choice, so that more people can discover it and give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, God bless.